Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Thank you, Stuart and Courtney, Shannon and the band. We appreciate you guys and your faithful service to us each and every week. And... Um, Grateful to God that we have the opportunity to be able to sing and sing of our great King. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to join me in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at just one verse, verse 7. And the goal is to fill in the blank of five words. Uh, and uh, the desire is to both take off and land the plane within the allotted amount of time. And uh, that's the goal, that's our desire and I would pray that we reach that end, but if not, we'll, we'll land wherever we are at the moment. And uh, I'll, uh, like Pharaoh, I'll let God's people go, and we'll pick back up next week if we don't have time to finish. But that's our, our aim. And I know all the women are here. It's like, look, you spent two weeks on us, right? Uh, I think it should be equal opportunity of offense, right? And you should offend the men as much as you've offended us the last couple of weeks. But uh, just trying to unpack it, make sure we understand it. That's my goal and aim, and there's not any particular agendas other than uh, when we finish up every day that we, uh, that we preach, every opportunity we open up God's Word, it says a clear understanding of God's Word. And so uh, that's our aim for this morning. So First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Once again, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, God's Word in the chairs in front of you, there's uh, a little white ESV Bible there. I encourage you to utilize that. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Scriptures, Find your way through to 1 Peter 3, based upon the table of contents, and uh, you'll look for 1 Peter, and then chapter 3. The 3 would be the chapter, verse 7 is the verse, and so we'd help, it, help you to both find your place in that. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, please take that as a gift from us to you. Nothing more important to place in your hands than God's Word, and so we'd encourage you to take that with you. So 1 Peter 3, verse 7, the Bible says this, Likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Father, we ask that you would aid us this morning, men and women alike, husbands and wives alike. And Lord, you would speak to us this morning. I know our desires, male or female, that our prayers may not be hindered. And yet, I know as it applies to men, particularly in this verse, other locations, even in First Peter, speak of our prayers being hindered due to our pursuing evil and not good. And so I pray, Father, that or this would not be just a message where women or wives would sit back and, and wait for men to be challenged. But Lord, this may be a mean where all of us gather underneath your word and Worship and submit to you and love you and grow in you and yield to you this morning. Lord, we acknowledge we cannot accomplish these commands, these expectations on our own. We do not have the means in and of ourselves, apart from your spirit, in accordance to your word, to accomplish what you've asked us to do. And so, Lord, we acknowledge we need you. I pray that you would speak through your word pray you would speak through me as I desire to bring clarity to your word. pray that anything that I would say that would be outside of your word, that, Lord, there would not be any remembrance of it. Or if there is, there would be complete rejection of it. And, Lord, where my words fall, 
exactly where your words intended. I pray, Lord, it would bring power and obedience, conviction of sin, and hope and confirmation in righteousness. I pray for any in the room who are not born again, that today may be the day that they would not harden their hearts, but Lord, that you would quicken them, you would turn their hearts, Open their minds, open their eyes to be able to see the great and glorious gospel in the face of Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that they would be born again. Lord, I acknowledge from the very onset, Lord, that is not in my job description. That is not within my ability or power or any of us. And so I pray, Father, your power, your spirit would accompany your word and would transform hearts and lives. And so that aim we ask for our good, but primarily your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Peter 3, 7. It's been a long line, a chain of links, if you will, link by link by link, uh, walking us through um, command that had began in chapter 2, verse 13, as we walk through clarity on uh, suffering uh, saints that are in a variety of locations, being reminded of their salvation, be reminded as a result of their salvation, their sanctification, they should be growing in Christ as we walk through chapter 1. That comes as a result of Christ's payment for us on the cross, and as a result of the Word of God that's reached us uh, through the Bible, and that Word remains forever. And as a result of that, we should not reject the Word as it begins in chapter 2, but we should receive the Word, that Word being the incarnate Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, He Himself, and also the inspired Word, which is the words that are being penned and the words that are being read this morning out of the Bible. And so for those who would obey the Word, He is precious to us as well. We have never been put to shame, and that we will receive honor for those who believe. But for those who reject Him, who who do not receive the word, he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And so as a result of that, our aim is as sojourners and as exiles in this land that we would abstain from the passions of our flesh. That we would walk in accordance to his word. That even though they would speak evil against us and they would speak against us as evildoers ourselves, that they may see our good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. And then in verse 13, he picks up with this statement, which is, even includes men or husbands today, as we look at verse 7 of chapter 3. Chapter 2, verse 13 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We walk through some of those institutions as it relates to the scriptures. That would be the institution of government, even as it lays out there in verses 13 through 16 or 13 through 17. Institution of a government, they should submit to the emperor as, as a supreme, and that's not total supremacy and be supreme under Christ. And then we looked at not only the citizen-emperor relationship, but verse 18 through 25, we looked at the slave-master relationship or employee-employer relationship. And then in verses 1 through 6, we looked at the last two weeks, we've looked at the wives-husbands relationship. And we will continue that today as we look at husband's portion of that submission. And so as we look at this, my main theme, I think that we see in verse 7 is this. That's your title on your your notes. Husbands, honor your wives. Wives have been mandated to submit to men, submit to their man, if you will, to be submitting to their husband. And as they submit to their husband, even husbands that are disobedient to the word, and I believe that translates husbands that are lost, that are not born again, who are not obedient to the, 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 uh, the desire of serving and surrendering to Christ as Lord. That can be a scary proposition, especially in this culture 
that the Bible was written in, not in our cultures. We look at it with a 21st century culture, vernacular, all those things. That, that's not how it was written here. They did not have laws for women. They did not have means to protect women. They didn't have the rights for women that we would have and experience in our culture today. So to look at it with 21st century lenses is not helpful. We have to look at it in the context it was written in and then, then apply those truths in our culture today. So it has to be applied to us, but we need to understand how it was written. And at this particular time, it could be very frightening to be a female. It could be very dangerous to be a female. And so as a result of that, the Bible says that they trust and submit to God, even in the context of a, a relationship with a husband who is not leading his home in a biblical manner, that she should win him without a word. She would submit to him. And so then it, it picks up, and we spent two weeks on that, so I'm not going to unpack all that again. And then it picks up, and then it says here, likewise, husbands. Now, what does it mean, likewise? You see it in verse 1, right? It's just picking up on this theme, likewise, wives, and then it gives a command. Be subject to your own husband. So that's the command. But then what's the likewise as it relates to husbands? And that's where in your notes there needs to be clarification provided to husbands. Clarification to husbands. If husbands are going to love their wives or honor your wives, then their first, first needs to begin to be clarification to husbands. What needs to be clarified? Well, the clarification needs is how then do men likewise subject themselves? I think... Even Pastor Tim and I were talking through this, and how does it work, and where does it think it through? And clearly what it's not saying is husbands to be subject to their wives. You don't see that at all in the passage. You don't see that anywhere in the Scripture. That's not what it's communicating. Otherwise, as both are subjecting themselves to one another, no one's leading. And that's not at all what the Scripture teaches. And so we know that's not what it is. And so what is it communicating that likewise husbands should what? And so likewise, husbands, likewise is referring back to something, right, that was previously communicated. And so what is the likewise? And I believe the likewise goes all the way back to what I read to you just a few moments ago is 1 Peter 2.13. Likewise, husbands, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That would apply to anyone and everyone. If you're an individual, be subject, if you're a Christian, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the government, whether it be to slaves and masters, whether it be to a, in the context of a family or a marriage. And we now he begins to unpack that particularly in each setting. So be subject to every human institution. How does that look in government? And we study that. How does that look in a slave-master relationship or employee-employee-employer relationship? How does that look if I'm in a marriage? And then he's now walking through clarity on both parties. What does that look like if I'm a male and what does that look like if I'm a female? And so then we spent the first six verses unpacking what it means to be subject to every human institution. The institution we're looking at over the last three weeks, the last two weeks and today, would be marriage. So how does it look? And knowing there's distinct and different roles within marriage, he wants to provide clarity to that. And so likewise, husbands, this is an attempt to provide clarity, to how then do husbands or men subject themselves to the institution of marriage? For the Lord's sake. And that's what we're unpacking today. And here's what I would say is very clear. The Bible would say that there should be a submission to this institution of marriage, particular to his role. Not that he's submitting or submissive or subject to the wife, because that's the opposite of what we just studied. The wife is actually in subjection, subjection or submission to him. So then how does he subject himself to the institution of marriage? He subjects himself to the institution of marriage in a way that would provide 
honor to his wife. That's what the, the context is saying here. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the wife, to the woman as the weaker vessel. And so I believe we see that today, is that there was submission to the institution of marriage for the Lord's sake, as it's particular to his role as head and her role as helper. Now, I see that clear as instruction to men. It's clear here. It's, it's instruction to husbands. Husbands. But as we've seen again and again and again, whether it was government or it was master slaves or wives or now husbands, there's a, I don't want women in this room to be able to check out or women in this room who aren't married and that are not a wife. And they well, this doesn't apply to me at all. I believe in each of these situations, there's truth that's found there, found therein that's applicable to women, even in the situation that's being directed to men. Let me explain. I believe in each of these situations, the commands have been given where, yes, driving in, driving home the point as it relates to each of the particular institutions, government, um, uh, employee, employee, or business, or slavery, however you want to look at that, and then constant, and second, uh, thirdly would be marriage, I believe there's also application to that. How do you say? Well, ultimately in this, as there's likewise husbands submitting to this institution, the, in command the instruction would be to honor your wives or show honor to the woman. And that's nothing new to what the passage as a whole has been communicating to us. Look at Hebrew, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. 1 Peter 2, 17. Instructions to everyone, as it was talking about submitting yourself, subjecting yourself to every human institution. 1 Peter 2 says, honor everyone. Now that's male or female honoring male or female. We should honor everyone. And he continues on. Love the brotherhood. That's the body of Christ, our local assembly. It's the gathering you're in this morning. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And so male or female, the instructions is we are aliens and strangers here is first Peter two eleven would say. And so therefore we should not, we are free men. We are free women, but let's not use that freedom as a cloak or a cover up for evil. But may they see our good deeds, our good works. And so as a result of that, we're living for a new home. We're living for heaven, but we're, we don't be so heavenly minded. We're no earthly good. And so he communicates, Hey, you've got to carry this out on the planet. And so how, how do we then carry out God's good deeds, his good works for us? Be subject to every human institution. And in that, uh, subjecting ourselves to every human institution, we should honor everyone. And then it, it spells that out particularly as it relates to government, um, uh, employee-employer relationships, uh, and now marriage as a whole. And so that's the clarification. What are husbands to do? Husbands are to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution and the institution of marriage their goal, their desire should be that they should be submissive to this institution of marriage as it is particular to his role as head uh, and her role as helper. So that's the clarification. Number two, the expectation of husbands. If we're going to honor our wives, there's an expectation. If there's going to be clarity to us to be subject, to the, for the Lord's sake, to the institution of marriage, there's an expectation upon us as there has and was for women, as there was for, for slaves, as there was for citizens. And now we see an expectation for husbands. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, this is what sets the balance for a, a distinctively Christian marriage. She's yielding and submitting to him, and he's living with her in an understanding way. That's what protects all the caveats when women are like, I don't want to submit, and there could be all these dangers. And they put all these caveats, which many times, as I spoke to you last week, I believe is a cover-up for I don't want to submit. That's what the real language is. I don't want to submit. 
And so I'm going to put all these caveats, all these qualifiers of when you could and shouldn't. And we do have to have that conversation at some point, I agree. But the natural posture should be like Sarah, and that even just in her daily course of, of life is, I'm submitting to my husband as Lord, as master over our home. That's what the previous verse just said in verse 6. And so there should be the, st- the standard. But then the caution then, the, the balance in that is in the husband's, they're going to do that. They're going to submit to the Lord by submitting to you. Lead them in a way that's understanding. Be mindful of them. This is what the scriptures have told us again and again and again outside of even marriage. Is it not? As Jesus is talking to the twelve and they're debating about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom and who's going to be seated at the right hand and left hand of Jesus when he comes in his throne and he rules and reigns over all the earth. And he says, listen, I didn't come to be served or to serve, but to be served. The greatest in the kingdom will be the least. Now, hear me, hear, me, hear me say what I am saying. I'm saying live with your wife in an understanding way. I am not saying abdicate your responsibilities to be a leader. I think many times men who are absolutely passive in their leadership, I'm just trying to be a servant leader. You're serving so much, you're not leading. We talked about last week, and even after the sermon, and talking with sweet, godly wives and ministering to those in the context of our body of Christ. Pastor Tim and I, we're just interacting, talking with you. Here's what we hear again and again and again, just in the last two weeks. I would gladly yield and submit to Muslim. I want him to lead. He's just not commanding anything. He just doesn't command leadership. What they're not saying is you're not providing for them. They're not saying you're not going to work. We're saying, well, when you get home from work, how are you leading us? They're looking for you to lead them. They want you to lead them. And even if they're resistant to your leadership, continue to lead anyway. The Bible has ordained it, and the Bible has committed it, and the Bible has commanded it. As a result of that, listen, over time, they will come to love and appreciate and respect and honor you. And if there are a Christian... If your spouse, your wife, is a believer, she will want that. It will be a natural desire when she sees it to yield and submit to it. And so lead anyway. And so what does this look like? What's this expectations of husbands? Live with your wives in an understanding way. Well, literally, English tries to translate it a little better for us to understand it. The clearest translation would be this. Live with your wives according to knowledge. According to knowledge. And so our translators have translated that to be in an understanding way. The literal translation would be according to knowledge. So it begs the question then. If I'm supposed to live with her, live with my wife, according to knowledge, what knowledge? What do I need to know? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. I remember uh, many, many years ago now. So we've, 14 years ago. right? I have to think about when we were married. 14 years ago. More than 14 years ago, I remember talking with many pastors and asking them, what does it mean for me to lead my home? And I got a a lot of really bad counsel, and most of them just didn't have any idea what it was to lead. Very few gave me good counsel. I remember there was one pastor that took me to lunch, and he gave me some of the best counsel I've, I've heard as it relates to Scripture and beyond. I was in ministry at the time. And he said, um, let's, let's go to lunch. I want to I sit down and talk to you. I want to offer you uh, more ministry responsibilities here within our church. And it's going to require, you know, it's going to be a, uh, 
promotion for you, and I want you uh, to just take some time. And so, man, I was really flattered, right? I'm getting a promotion at my employment. And being at a church, man, it's great for they see, they see Christ in me, and I was super excited. And we went to lunch, and man, I've carved out a couple hours, and I really just want us to talk over lunch about this new ministry that, that uh, I believe God um, is, is granting you, and, and um, I'm excited about that. And I want to just, before it happens, I want to just give you an opportunity to walk through this. And I said, okay, great. And I said, before I tell you what it is, walk me through, as, if you're going to be leading this ministry, I'm going to put more responsibility on you as a leader. What is it that, how, are we, how would you lead this ministry? Now, you don't know exactly what it is yet, but how would you lead this ministry if, I, if, you, you're, if you're going to carry it out? I said, man, I, I mean, first I would just be humble and I would just begin to thank God for the opportunity to be able to lead and be grateful and be thankful. I said, that's great, that's great. What else would you do? I, well, I, I, I mean, I, not knowing what it is, I mean, I need to, once I hear about what it is, I need to look to the scripture and find out what the scripture says about my leading it and how I should lead. Give some instruction to me about how I, how I should lead it, things I should do, things I shouldn't do. He said, oh, that's great. What else would you do? Well, I mean, any ministry is going to have to have organization to it, so I'd begin to find out if I'm overseeing that, how I'm supposed to carry that out and roles and responsibilities and job descriptions, and so who's going to be doing what. I want to make sure i got people who are qualified in the right positions. He said, man, that sounds great. And I just went on and on. I was walking through this thing. And, and so, I mean, we're getting close to the two-hour time limit, and I'm thinking, I mean, I, listen, I understand you need to vet me, but you're the one saying you want to grant me this ministry. You're the one saying you, I'm ready to hear what this ministry is. I'm ready to get to work. I mean, just a few minutes left in our time together, he says, now, are you ready for me to unveil what this new ministry is? I said, man, I am. I'm excited. And I, do, I think I do need to take some time to pray about it, see if it's something I can add to my plate. Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm engaged to my wife or my soon-to-be wife, and we're going to be married soon. And he says, well, that's exactly the new ministry I'm talking about. With all the intentionality you would put in your work, put it in your marriage. Be thankful that God's given you an opportunity to be married and have new ministry. Go to the scriptures and begin to look at the scriptures to inform you of what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Look at what the scripture says about roles and responsibilities and job descriptions. And I say that in quotations. Spend the same time you would be coming here for a paycheck or spending here for the praise of others and invest it in your wife. Invest it in your soon-to-be future marriage, your soon-to-be future children, if God wills. And he has now four beautiful children. That's what it means to be a leader, to lead. And I say, men, many aren't doing that. We're not doing it living with our wives according to knowledge. Knowledge of what the Bible commands of us, commends of us, and encourages us to command and commend in the lives of others. So what knowledge? Well, let's just look at the text. This one verse is pregnant with information. So live with your wives according to knowledge. What knowledge? Well, if you continue to go through, how do we show her honor? How do we do that? That would be a knowledge we need to understand. What does, it, what does it mean to show honor? What does it mean to the woman? What does it mean that she's a vessel? What kind of knowledge do we need to understand there? What does it mean that she's a weaker vessel? That she's an heir with us as we just look at the text there. She's an heir. The grace. Heirs with you of the grace of life. What does it mean? that? What kind of knowledge do we need to understand about this being a grace-filled life? There's grace. There's life. So that your prayers. What does it mean that we should be praying? How should we be praying? And that our prayers may not be 
hindered. We just unpack that. Look how much knowledge we need to have about honor and women and vessels and weaker heirs, grace, life, prayers, hindering those prayers. A lot that we need to unpack. There's a lot of information we need to know if we're going to live according to this type of knowledge, this knowledge of living with my wife in this understanding way. And then that's just women in general. That's just marriage in general. Now, what about the particulars of my wife? What about particulars of your wives? What about her background? What about you shepherding her heart? What about her, this, the sin that's particular to her, struggles that are particular to her, temptations that are particular to her? Are you studying your wife? Do you know her? Do you desire to know her? Or you just want things from her? thing that you want the most sex respect honor whatever that would be warm dinner should take a shower every now and then you know whatever it is in your home that you would you would want her to do what 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 is that make your mind up that you you're gonna you're gonna honor her you're gonna live with her in an understanding way regardless of whether she reciprocates regardless if you get what you want There's an expectation for us as men to live with our wives according to knowledge. Now, this is important. This isn't new to the Christian life. Look at First, First Peter chapter one, verse fourteen. As it walks through us being born again, and those marvelous verses between three through thirteen or three through twelve, it's this marvelous salvation that we have. It says in verse thirteen, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. And then listen to verse fourteen. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Your former ignorance, your lack of knowledge, the ignorance that you had before you came to the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the knowledge that you haven't been living your life in a manner that's pleasing to God, in a manner that's been obedient to Him, a manner that He would want you to. When you are Lord of your life, your former ignorance, do not be conformed to that image. Do not conform. Molded. Don't let this culture mold us into the way it looks like every other marriage looks like. Your parents' marriage, your parents' divorce marriage, remarriages. I don't, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be conformed. You don't have to be molded into that like this jello that just hardens and molds to whatever the external forces are. No, the Bible says be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed to the image of Christ by the renewing of your minds. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't be molded. Don't be conformed. Just by living how you used to live. Your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Let's not live in ignorance. God has called us. And in his calling us, he's called us to live with our wives in an understanding way. It's not the only place you see that. I'm not going to take you everywhere, but the Bible is replete with examples. But look at 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 3, and we'll read through verse 5. Just listen to this. You don't have to turn there. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. For this is the will of God. Everybody wants to talk about what the will of God is. The Bible tells us several times what the will of God is. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, your being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what sanctification means. That you would abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body 
and holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's, that's what it means. It's a definition of that former ignorance. That just lust of your flesh, that's waging war that we've talked about again and again and again from verse 11, that your sojourns are, and aliens are exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Don't do that. And that's just like the Gentiles who don't know God. You know God. Don't live in your former ignorance. And as it relates to your wife, you need to live according to knowledge with her. I just had to sum it up. You can't be lazy and lead your home well. You can't do it. I'm grateful to God if you're providing for your family. The Bible says you'd be worse than an unbeliever if you didn't. But you have to provide for your family more than just money. Pastor Tim and I have seen more than in one occasion. I'm, I'm trying to say this in the most grace-filled way I can. And more than one occasion of families leaving this church because they're requiring of us to lead their home when they're not leading. So we don't provide the right programs. We don't provide the right, provide the right activities. We don't provide the right things. They're going to they're leave. And that's, the point isn't about activities. The point is they're abdicating their role and their responsibility to lead their wife, lead their children in a godly manner. Cannot be replaced by one or two services a week. And the snare of our supposedly Christian culture and supposedly cultural Christianity in most churches is that we can fix you in just a couple of hours a week. When at best, we can inform you of our former ignorance and how the Bible leads us to live the next six days. And that's why, that's why the body is so necessary what gets unpacked in this service, what gets unpacked on Wednesday nights, should blow our minds, should leave us helpless to go, I can't do this. I need God. I need His help. I need the body of Christ to come around me. I can't see some of my own blind spots. I can't do it. And you love me enough to go, Pastor, what you're doing is not wise. That's why we need a plurality of elders. Why we need a body of Christ. Why we need each other. And if we only come that, hey, this is my, my fill-up. I'm a self-feeder. I'm, this is just my fill-up. And I come here because I just need... Listen, this is a wrong viewpoint of what we're gathered here to do. We're all worshiping together under the Word. And then we're supposed to carry this Word out together throughout the week. We should begin to realize, I can't figure this out on my own. Everything I've learned, everything I've seen has been wrong. I need someone to help me do what the Bible says. I want to press into this language and ring out all that the Bible would tell me I should be doing. And if there's one area that burdens my heart the most, it's the area of male leadership within the churches, within our church even. And ours is, I'm encouraged by the leadership I see in our men within this church. But much work needs to be done in me and in us, I believe, even, even still. And so there's clarification to husbands, and then there's an expectation of husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way or according to knowledge. Now, if we're to do that, 
I'm grateful that Peter doesn't leave us there. He then provides direction to husbands. Yes, there's a clarification. How do we submit to this institution? Provides the expectations of us that we should live with our wives in an understanding way. And now he's providing direction to husbands. How do we live with them in an understanding way? We show them honor as our wife, as a woman who's the weaker vessel. Show, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, showing honor, not uh, we've already seen this, not a new concept. We've seen it again and again and again and again and again. I know I've said again a billion times in this sermon, but it's because it's true. Verse 17, just point in case. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And so here, showing honor to the wife is something that a husband can do and should do and is implored and, and, and commanded to do. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And so showing honor to her. And so if we're going to honor her as we would honor the king in a certain way. And now we want to honor her in a certain way. And we need to honor everyone in First Peter 2, 17 in a certain way. How does, it, how does it then give us direction to how we should honor her? And so we're going to do this according to knowledge. We need some instruction. We need some help. How do we... What's the direction that, Peter, you can give us so we can honor our wives? And he begins to help us by first communicating that we should honor our wives as a weaker vessel. A weaker vessel. Not a popular concept in our culture today. It's trying to rip all the distinctions, all the roles and responsibilities out in our culture that women are completely equal with men in all ways. I'm telling you, the foolishness of our society, it's becoming comical. Especially with this transgendered conversation. We'll speak more about that in a moment, but it's becoming comical because all the, all the debates, all the challenges, it's, it's, it's funny, let's take Bruce Jenner, I'm not going to call him Caitlin. Bruce Jenner, his transformation that he's had in quotes. As we see this supposed transformation, everybody's talking about how liberating he is, and how excited they are for him, and how proud he is, and how courageous he is. You know who's not happy besides the Christians? Who's not happy besides the Christians? The feminists. All of his transformations go against everything they say should not make up a woman as far as her beauty. Beauty's on the inside. Why must he transform himself? If he feels like a woman, it should be sufficient. Why does he need to now have surgeries and things that would, would enhance certain areas to make him look more voluptuous and more female? And so our culture is collapsing upon itself because we can't figure out who we are. Where the feminists would be super excited about that now, they're up in arms. It just shows that professing to be wise, the Bible was right all along. We became fools. Romans one twenty two. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. So what does it, what does weaker vessel mean? Let's look at the word vessel. Uh, again, to help us to see what what it is and what it may not be. I believe here the, the Bible says. Well, first of all, we see a vessel. It says it speaks of the weaker vessel. So I believe the vessel is speaking both of male and female. 
right? They're both vessels. I think that gives us a clue. If one's weaker than the other, then it's comparison men and living with their wives, living with women. I think the reality here is that they're both vessels because one is weaker. And so the vessel would both be both distinctly human, male, and female, as it's referring to. And so then it continues on. I, I think there's other scriptures that would help us to be able to give insight to what it means to be a vessel. Write this down. I'll read it to you quickly. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It says, but we have this treasure, speaking of the gospel, in vessels of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. So we, we have this treasure and vessels of clay. I think the imagery there, the Bible is communicating, is our bodies, our physical bodies. Not just speaking, and some would translate this to mean um, distinctively um, uh, anatomic uh, body parts that would refer to women and versus men. And so as a result of that, that was what, but I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it, it breaks down in our translation here as we're looking at it, what this passage is community. How would they live with their wives and nurse anyway? It simply has to do with sexual organs. Does it make sense? It makes more sense as Second Corinthians 4, 7 would translate it, that these vessels are the entire body themselves. And so in that, we begin to see that it's a weaker vessel is referring to their bodies. Now, as I alluded to, that, that's an offensive thing. In our culture, I mean, not in this church, but I want when I preach, I'm not simply speaking to you only. I, I want to preach to you. But many, many times as I preach, Pastor Tim preaches, we're, we're, we're utilizing the debates. We're utilizing the things that we hear outside of this, because this is a, a time of informing you and training you that as first Peter three is going to tell us in, in the coming weeks that we would be able to give a defense of. Uh, give a, a defense of the hope that lies within us. So we need to be able to apologia. We need to be able to defend the faith. And so in our secular culture, right, secular Christian culture even, that, that and I say that with, in, with parentheses, there were quotations, that ultimately this supposed Christian culture has bought into the world's systems and its ways. And so we're, men and women are completely equal in all aspects. That's not true. And to further prove this point, I just want to just help us walk through. So in, in, in general, let me just say this first. In general, women are the weaker vessel. Now, I'm not talking intellect, competence, any of those type of things. I'm speaking simply of our physicalness, our bodies. So that's what the passage is saying. It's like 2 Corinthians 4, 7, speaking of our vessels of clay, these bodies. Men are stronger. Now, it's not... Popular when women, anything men can do, women can do better, right? It's the old slogan and saying. But is that true? Is that true? In, in general, right? Are women, in general, stronger than men? I think not. That's why there's a men's NBA league and a women's NBA league. And just here till recently, women, most women couldn't dunk a 10-foot ba- basketball goal. Uh, that's why I say in general, so many men in this room say, oh, I can't dunk a 10-foot basketball goal. All right, but in general, you put the women's best professional athletes up and against men, the men's best athletes, far more percentage-wise than male NBA can dunk a basketball than the female NBA. It's an anomaly for most 
and the women's league. That's what I'm saying. In general, you're going to put the women's best up against the men's best. It's not competitive. It's not even close. That's not to demean women. It's simply to prove the point of what the Bible has been saying all along. We've picked up on it in selling tickets and, in, and, and money and markets to realize you target men, you target women. And it's not simply because women won't watch. It's because it won't be competitive. It won't be fair. There's a genetic advantage that men have, and it's called the Y chromosome. It's designed and ordained by God. And that has, it says, it says, hear me clearly, it says absolutely nothing to the intrinsic worth and value of women created in God's image. And that means, in that way, in salvation and all those, men and women are completely equal. But as it relates to the physical power and ability, men are stronger. That's why you have a female PGA. Female tennis league, as far as professionally, we could go on and on and on. I just even came across these statistics. 3% of construction workers are women. 3%. You know, probably one of the reasons why? Hard. It's difficult. 13% are police. 15% are military. Pastor Tim was just telling me just laws are being passed now that if we were to have a new draft... A military draft, women will be expected to be drafted. Not, listen, not seeing these distinctives. Not seeing these distinctives of women being the weaker vessel is not a fruitful thing for our, our country. Professing to be wise, we are foolish. Foolish. The genetic advantage that men have is remarkable and a profound strength differential. A remarkable and profound strength differential. The Olympics are coming up. I love the Olympics. That's when my national pride comes out. Right? I love it. Love to watch them compete. I'm glad now in our day they wear clothing. In the past, the Olympics would be completely naked. So I'm grateful even though they're mostly naked, at least they have more clothing on, right? But I just love to see their, I, just, I mean, I, really, it's, it's amazing to see the giftedness. And I think even the Apostle Paul picks up on this as he speaks about the discipline of athletes and how we should discipline our own bodies. And Paul picked up on it, self-control. And he would use the same perishable wreath comparison to the imperishable crown that we will get in heaven. I mean, this is, right, Paul gets it too. But just to further show you the distinction between men and women. Let's just listen to this. 100-meter dash or 100-meter run, right, in the Olympics, the gold world record, Usain Bolt, 9.58 seconds to run 100 meters. Less than a second, 10 meter. Every 10 meters, less than a second. That's fast. Women, I mean, it's be clear to say, more fast than me, right? So I just want to say, in general... In general, that lady, and this is an old record, right? So this is an old record. It hasn't been broken in some time. We were lining up. I could probably take her now because she's old. But but maybe. I might pull a ham, hamstring. But I think I could take her now uh, if she's still alive. But I, I think I could take her now. So if it's the case, like, I've never done this. I've never ran this. So she's, so, but in general, men are faster. And that's the point I'm trying to make. 
So 9.58, Usain Bolt, 10.49, 100 meters. That's still fast. 200 meters, Usain Bolt also holds that record. 200 meters in 19.19 seconds. Women, 21.34. 400 meter, 43.18 for men, 47.6 for women. Long jump, this is unbelievable. Long jump, world record, 29 feet, four and a quarter inches. 29 feet. Now, almost, almost as impressive like, as that. Like, just straight up, one-to-one. Women, 24 feet, 8 inches. I can't do that either, right? High jump. I used to high jump back in the day. I'm not going to say anything else about that, but I used to high jump back in the day. High jump for men, 8 feet and a quarter inches is the world record. 8 feet and a quarter inches. Women, 6 feet, 10 and a quarter inches. I'll just be honest, I had the school record at my high school. It was not six feet, ten and a quarter inches. All right? So not only me and a lot of other men couldn't beat this young lady, whomever she is. The point is, and each where you compare men's greatest prowess with women's, there is a significant advantage for men. And it has nothing to do with intrinsic worth and value. It has everything to do with God's created order. And if we're going to be ignorant of God's created order, we will not honor the scriptures as it would command us and expect us to honor our wives as a weaker vessel. It has implications. And when we disregard the word of God as if it doesn't matter, we will miss the implications that it's supposed to provide to us. You understand? That's why. It's not just, it's not just an ego trip here. Oh, you're a male. And, no, no. We're going to miss God's intrinsic value of how he created and ordered our lives together. And we will not be able to honor our wives in the manner that he's commanded us to do so. And so we're foolish to do it. Well, how then are we supposed to live with them, honor them as the weaker vessel? We've seen that they're weaker. Now, what's then man's role in that? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to point these out to you. Ephesians 5. We're going to begin in verse 22. We'll go to verse 33. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Ephesians 5, 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Right? So you're picking up the same language that Peter's talking about, but Paul's writing this church, writing to the church, uh, the church at Ephesus here. But he's got the same concept. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husbands. It's the same language, is it not? Same communication. Be subject to, submit in everything. Same thought pattern, same terminology here. And in verse 25, now husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with word, with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way as what's just described here about what Christ did for the church. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one's ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's a direct reference to the very first book of the Bible, second chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So how does he honor his wife, who's the weaker vessel? I see four, it could be more, but I see four ways here in verses 20 through 29. One would be leadership. One would be leadership. Right? You see it back in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Church being its body, so you see the same thing. That for husbands, they would provide leadership for their wives, and so it says that he is the head of his wife. Husbands, love your wife. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. They might sanctify her, cleansing the word, to wash and wash. He's leading her, so he's the head. Number two, I think you see it with as in his leadership of being the head. You see an initiative on his part. There's no command to lead. He just is the head. It's not an imperative. It's an indicative. Indicative just means it's a true statement. It just is. Man, you're leading. You're the head whether or not you're leading in a positive manner or a negative manner. You're the head regardless. The head has no knowledge in it. The head has no plans in it. The head has no, no, no brain. It's still a head. Right? And I'm saying that flippantly. I'm just meaning Honestly. You don't have to be leading it in the right direction for you to be the leader. You are the leader. It's just a true statement, not a command. There's no command to lead here. It just is. And so you're the head. But in the leadership, there should be an initiative to do something. What is that to do? Verse 26. If we're going to love her. We're going to honor her. And we, that, the initiative is that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of, the word, uh, of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor with spot, without spot or wrinkle or any such blemish that she might be holy and without blemish. Are you looking at your wife with that goal, with that initiative? How can I minister to my wife in this manner? I want to honor her as the weaker vessel. As the weaker vessel, one who is supposed to be stronger. The goal here is I want to protect my wife. I want to honor her in this way that I'm protecting her. And that's not simply physical, but it's spiritual. Yeah, the wicker vessel physically, but spiritually, you want to protect her in all aspects. You're the head. And so there should be an initiative on your part that you would want her to be sanctified. Caution her. Speak the word over her. You see in her that she's becoming more holy and less sinful. That's what it means that she might be holy and without blemish. You should, number three, not only you see leadership and initiative, you see protection. How do you protect her? As you see in the passage, as you read along, husbands love your wives. Oh, back at verse 23. So you see her as the head. It says that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and as himself, its savior. If we were to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, what did he give himself up for her for? To save her. In the same way, we should give ourselves up to protect our wives. Speaks of protection there. In the same way, we should love our wives as Christ loved the church. He would protect the church from sin. There should be an initiative there to 
Not that we replace Christ, but that we would point to Christ. He's your Savior. And the way I save you, in a sense, in essence, is that I'm pointing you to the one, who, the one and only one who can save. Are we pointing our wives to Christ? We're pointing our children to Christ. And in that way, we save them by pointing them to the one and only Savior. That's the greatest protection we can give them. Do not fear man who can destroy the body, but fear him who can bo- fear God who can both destroy the body and soul in hell. Greatest protection you can provide is to point them to the Savior. So you see protection and then provision. Provision. You look at verse 29. Back up verse 28 to keep it in context. In the same way, husbands, you should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ is the church. And so your wife is one with you. You should nourish her and cherish her as you would your own body, just as Christ did to the church. Nourish and cherish. So it's just have to, you don't have to ask your wife this. You, you know it if you're doing these things or not. Are you leading? Are you leading? Are you the head that's leading according to knowledge? Are you the head that's leading according to the knowledge of what the Bible expects and demands, commends and commands? Are you taking initiative then to do that? That your wife, your children might be sanctified, your grandchildren might be sanctified? Are you protecting them by pointing them to the one and only true Savior? Are you providing for them? Do they sense and feel nourished and cherished? Even if that nourishing and that cherishing is discipline. That's exactly what Hebrews 12 says. That's how we know we're God's children. That we're not illegitimate. He disciplines us. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12, and it shows us that He loves us. I remember being in a a ministry, my wife and I, resident missionaries in this community. I remember I, I would come down so hard on some of these kids, not in unrighteous anger, but just, I mean, I would, I, they make them toe the line. And yet they would get up at like 6 o'clock in the morning before the bus comes at 6.30 and we'd have devotions on my front porch underneath our porch line. Especially in the winter, it was dark. 6 o'clock in the morning. My wife, Charity, and I used to get on them all the time. They would constantly get in trouble. Kids would graffiti our wall, our, our retaining wall on the back side of our house, and we'd have, make them come and sand it off with a hand sander, like, not, not with like a machine, like sandpaper in their hand, right? It took forever. Whoever's living there now probably still has some res- semblance of whatever they spray painted on there back in the day. You know what? They, they kept coming back. Why? I think they understood what love looked like and that sometimes love looks like discipline. I don't think we were unduly harsh or unkind. But I think they understood. So men, we've been called, we've been mandated. We're called, mandated to lead our wives in an understanding way. We do that by showing them honor as the weaker vessel. So, I want to unpack more of this. I think I'm going to stop there. 
we'll finish up verses, the remainder of verse 7 and the last two points next week. But here's, here's the invitation. Here's the instructions for us. And are we, is this happening in our homes? Men, is this, is this what we're doing? And listen, hear me, hear me say very, very clearly, very, very clear. I, I, I'm not doing this perfectly in my home. I'm not honoring the Lord perfectly in this manner in my own home. As a result, just to unpack a little bit, man, my prayers can be hindered in this way. A lot of part of verse 7, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I'm confident in over the course of 14 years of marriage that I've not done this perfectly. I don't have to seek my wife's input on that. I know that's not the case. I know there's been times where my prayers have been hindered because of my unrighteousness. The evil that was in my heart and came out my mouth or came out my actions. But at the same time, it's not to pat myself on the back. I'm trying to be transparent. It's clear. I can honestly say, though, there's been an initiative on my part. There's a plan. It might not be the best plan, but there is a plan. It might not be the best manager or leader of my home, but at least I'm managing and attempting to lead. You are the head, men, husbands. You are the head simply because you're married and you have a pulse. But you are not leading unless you do it God's way. Righteously leading. You are leading. You might be leading the wrong way. I encourage us to think through this carefully and clearly. Number one. Do you see yourself as the stronger vessel? And that your wife needs protection and provision. Both. And I think many in this room would protect their wives when it came to physical blows. That's been tested at time with animals of a variety of sorts, including birds. And I did not pass all those tests. I can tell you that story later. Didn't pass all those tests. Sometimes I left my wife high and dry to fend for herself. However... I think the natural desire of my heart is to protect my wife and provide for my wife. But part of that protection and provision is to lead them to the Savior. Taking initiative. You would sanctify her. You protect her. Show her the Savior. And that you provide for her by nourishing and cherishing her. So I implore men to be able to do that in this room. And women to allow the men to be able to do that, to ask for it and to commend it at every step of the way. And then I want to share a point that's why our membership meeting, even tonight, is so important. When Christians, I'm not talking pagans, when Christians, this passage in 1 Peter 3, 7, is speaking to a godly husband with a godly wife, I believe. And I'll point that out next week. But I think that... Both Christians. And let me tell you, the reason you need to be a part of a good church, a church that will even discipline is because why? You have a means to help you, to protect you, provide for you when your husband isn't leading well. To challenge him, to hold him accountable. And to hold you and challenge you as well. Hold you accountable and challenge you. And so it's good for marriages and for our 
our widowers, our widows, our single men and women, it's good for you as well. You see the church in 1 Timothy 6 taking care of widows, or 1 Timothy 5, taking care of widows, providing for widows, ministering to widows, especially when they had no children to do so. And the elders and the leaders and the church body as a whole would providing some of these very same characteristics, leadership and initiative and provision and protection for them, even monetarily. And so for the body of Christ, for each individual marriage and men leading that, I encourage you to do so. But as you do that well, we're encouraging you, we're imploring men to be raised up to help us, to help Pastor Tim and myself, and even those four guys who are in training right now, to help each of us that we would begin to care for one another. But if you're not leading your own home well, you're never going to be asked to be able to step up. You have to manage your own household well. And so whether you're married or not married, married again, our, our, our caution and our encouragement is, Lead well. Because we need your help. In battling against evil and the evils of our culture that's permeating most of our churches. And that's why the gathering is so important. That's why our membership meeting tonight is so important. And we're going to give some very, very critical and, and vital information about how we would do that together, even in our meeting tonight. It's not, I promise you, it's not just quarterly conferences for the sake of having them. We're prepared. We've got things to discuss, things to talk about tonight to help move us along. That these type of things that we're doing and communicating here would be a help to one another. Clarification, expectation, direction that could be given to husbands and encouraging and leading out in their lives. And then these husbands who are managing their households well, to be able to manage a bigger household, the household of God, well. It's the building blocks to a strong church. last thing we're here we're doing here is just to be entertainment we are waging war with a culture that hates god god in christ and christians and the more you begin to obey the bible the more you feel like an alien and a stranger a sojourner and an exile so i, I pray you don't take this lightly Let's pray together. Father, I pray, first and foremost, you would forgive me for how I've not led my home well over these past 14 years. How many of these challenges and these statements of 1 Peter 3 said, one verse, one verse be so fact, so packed with facts and truth, so pregnant with truth that it'd be so humbling. As I look just at my relationship with my wife, and it speaks nothing yet of children, only wives, and our leadership of them. I pray for each husband in this room that we would take this serious. Knowing our prayers would be hindered if we don't take this serious. That we would lead well. I pray we'd ask for help, that we'd be humble enough to repent before our wives. Repent before each other. Clearly repent before you, which is most important. And then confess our trespasses one to another. To be able to ask for aid and how to do this better. But just a short amount of time. And this world will be gone. This life will be over. And all will matter what we have done for eternity. What you have done in and through us.
I pray for the men who are currently leading. I pray for young men who will be leading one day. That God, you help them to establish godly discipline, godly habits, train themselves, discipline themselves for your honor and for your glory. I pray you'd raise up men who would be able to come alongside and aid us, would challenge me, would challenge Pastor Tim, would be, could rightly divide the word of truth, and that Lord would help make this body stronger, sanctify this body more, help us to live in accordance, according to knowledge even more, that would challenge one another, would lead one another, minister to one another, protect one another, provide initiative to one another. I pray for those ladies in this room who are resistant to leadership, that you would help them. Or that may, may they hope in you that whatever fears that are frightening to them would be removed and they would have a gentle and quiet spirit. And I pray for those ladies in this room who have a gentle and quiet spirit, who do hope in you, and are praying that their husbands would be one without a word. Their husbands would finally take the initiative. Finally be broken over their sin. Quit chasing promotions and prestige and power and wealth and a variety of other things. And begin to chase you first and foremost and chase them. God, I pray that in the only way that you can, that your word would not return nor void, but will accomplish what you please in me and in us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.